0: everybody, and welcome to Episode 17 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Fred. Fred is from Winnipeg, Manitoba and currently living in Toronto. He is a retired professor who is working on several writing projects at the moment. Welcome, Fred.
1: Thanks, Jen. Glad to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you. So I always like to start off by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting.
1: Actually, my cardiologist did. I've got a A bit of a complicated medical history, and I was visiting my cardiologist last February, so February 2018, and uh, he literally threw the obesity code at me and said, buy this, read this, do this. I love it. that's how I got started.
0: So um, February, by the time this episode airs, it will be February. So this will be right around your one-year anniversary with intermittent fasting.
1: Almost. There's a caveat. I had to get the uh, buy-in of my endocrinologist. So my cardiologist and endocrinologist are best buddies and they see each other every day, but you had to do things formally and write a letter. So by the time he wrote a letter and I got in to see the cardiologist, it wasn't until uh, mid-April.
0: Okay. So you started actually in April, but in the meantime, I guess you read the obesity code Mm-hmm. In February, after your cardiologist recommended it. So yes. what was the recommendation based on? Why did he think that intermittent fasting would be great for you?
1: Just because I was such a complicated case and nothing else had worked, I'd worked with a bariatric doctor for two and a half years and you know had logged everything in my fitness pal and done lots of exercise, and in that two and a half years, I lost four pounds. Oh my gosh. So we knew that wasn't working. And because of my other medical complications, bariatric surgery wasn't an option for me. So this was it.
0: So how much weight did your cardiologist want you to lose?
1: He did not give me a specific goal. At the diabetes clinic that I go to through the endocrinologist, their general rule is lose 10% of your body weight. And then keep going and then lose another 10% if you hit goal and lose another 10%. I don't know how much I've lost at this point because I haven't been weighing, but I know I'm shrinking considerably.
0: Would you be comfortable sharing about what your starting weight was? People like to hear this sort of thing and they're always curious if we don't mention it.
1: Sure. December 2017, I was about 280. Okay. My last weigh-in with the endocrinologist was this December. And I was about 240.
0: All right. So about 40 pounds down from December to December. Yes. Okay. So bariatric surgery was not an option for you because of of your health history. Mm -hmm. And you were not losing weight with all the tracking that you were doing and the exercise. Correct. How were you eating at that point before intermittent fasting?
1: I wasn't eating horribly, but I was eating enough to... I guess, maintain my weight at about 280 pounds. Years and years ago, I had been much heavier. I had been as high as 340 pounds. You know, through trying a variety of things, I had gotten down to 280 and was sort of stable around there. But it was still way too heavy.
0: So I imagine you were logging everything you ate, you Mm -hmm. were keeping your calories low, that sort of thing.
1: Calories, not so low. The general rule was, you know, 2,000 a day you know, in the various proportions. But, you know, a lot of that was by instruction from the doctors, you know, lots of carbs, which is exactly what I I shouldn't have been doing because I'm type two diabetic.
0: Right, exactly. So when you read the obesity code, I imagine you read it between February and April at some point before the endocrinologist finally signed on. Yes. When you read the obesity code for the first time, what really like stuck out to you or just was like, you know, wow, aha, the, the, I wish I had known this? What were some of the takeaways that maybe surprised you or shocked you or any of those?
1: Is why all my other doctors didn't know this. Right. Like it seems to be it's pretty common knowledge. And the treatment that they're giving me for my type 2 diabetes is actually sabotaging me. So we know insulin makes you gain weight. But they tell you to get rid of your type 2 diabetes to lose weight. But they're giving you the medicine that counteracts your efforts to lose weight.
0: So you were taking insulin then, I guess, every day.
1: Yes. So three times a day with meals and once at night.
0: And what did your endocrinologist think? Was he aware of this, what was written in the obesity code, or was this new information for him as far as, you know, the way Dr. Fung presents it?
1: It was newish. uh, Because we're in Toronto, he actually knows Dr. Fung. And – when I went to see him about this, he, his first question was, do you want me to refer you to Dr. Fung to do this? <laughs> so oh, that's I, awesome. So, um, but it would have been a six-month waiting list or something along that line. And it would have been as a group participant, not as a individual patient. So I passed on that and just decided I would go my own route and see what happens.
0: Wow. I didn't even think about that, you know, yet being in Toronto... That's mm-hmm. where Dr. Fung lives, right? He's in Toronto. Yes. Okay. So that's so cool that your endocrinologist knows him personally. And I think that probably helped, don't you?
1: Absolutely. He had just never had any experience with anybody doing intermittent fasting. He's actually the medical director of the diabetes clinic I go to. And, you know, as I met with dietitians and the diabetic nurse and all those people, like they're stuck in the nineteen sixties as you know, with regards to their education about this. So I was sort of his, uh, his test patient.
0: Well, I absolutely love that. I mm-hmm. love that. First of all, he was open-minded. He knew of Dr. Fung. Did he read the obesity code himself at that point?
1: I'm not sure. I, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, he's, he's actually one of these doctors that has two or three specialties. You know, he's an endocrinologist and an internist and something else. So, you know, he's into the perpetual learning. But I guess, you know, something has to come to mind before you can go about learning it.
0: Right. The good news is that he was open-minded.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And, and he was willing to let you try it. So what did he tell you to do or how did he want you to
1: start? He said that I would have to be my, my own N equals one. And the only thing to make sure I did was drink a lot more water when I was taking my metformin instead of food and then keep monitoring my blood sugars. And if I found I was becoming too low, go to the diabetes clinic and they would reset my monitor to recalculate how much insulin I took with a meal.
0: So when you started, what, what plan were you following as far as like intermittent fasting? The, what routine did you start with?
1: Well, I kind of went in with a mindset that I really didn't know how to fast because previously I was told, even for the Jewish high holidays when we're supposed to fast, the doctor always said, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. So I was sort of stuck on on that mindset. So I thought I would try a 12-12. And I did that for a week. And then I saw I survived that. And then I just started adding time each week.
0: Yeah, I think that's a smart approach mm-hmm. because it allows your body to ease in mm-hmm. instead of like trying to do it all at once.
1: Yeah. And then I had a slight interruption after I started. <laughs> So,
0: okay. Tell us about
1: that. So about two weeks after I started, I had gone to visit some friends on a Saturday night and I was walking home and I had a syncope, which is sort of uh, almost like a fainting spell. And I almost collapsed. And then I walked a little more and I almost collapsed. And I initially thought it was from the fasting and it was just my body adjusting to it and Then I had a couple of more very, very serious ones, uh, one in one of my doctor's office, which sent me to the hospital to emerge. And it turned out that uh, my pacemaker, which has failed a number of times already, had decided to fail again. So I ended up in the hospital needing emergency surgery. So these syncopes weren't because of IF, they were because of, uh, apparently I buy my pacemakers at the dollar store or someplace.
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> well, I'm really really glad that that you talked about this because everyone tends to think just like you did at first, mm-hmm. you know, every symptom that you have maybe because you're new to intermittent fasting. You know, it's like, well, I'm starting intermittent fasting, I'm feeling this fainting spell, it's got to be the fasting, and it had zero to do with the fasting.
1: Yeah. Kind of my my method of operation now is anytime I feel anything off, my pacemaker is likely to be failing. Like just go to the hospital,
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe you could you know try a different store than the dollar store for your <laughs>
1: It's a great idea
0: <laughs> for your pacemakers mm-hmm. <laughs> so they had to replace it, I guess you had to have like emergency surgery kind of thing,
1: yeah, they tried it didn't go so well, so I'm one of the few people in the world right now that actually has two pacemakers running simultaneously. They couldn't fully implant the new one because I've already got too much junk. Pacemaker leads, etc., in my heart. There was no room for a new one, so the uh, the new one actually backs up the old one, which fails a number of times a day. And there's always a little bit of a lag between when the new one kicks in and the old one stops. So I'm I'm pretty aware of when my heart stops. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a bit of a bizarre scenario.
0: That really is. But you just know how to go about your day, and yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, so um I know your cardiologist is probably thrilled that you've lost forty pounds or so mm-hmm. right around there, since that's probably got to make it easier on on your heart.
1: Yes, and the endocrinologist is pretty thrilled as well, so at my last visit when I weighed in, he was he was shocked at how much weight I had lost since my last visit, and I think it was 20 pounds between visits.
0: Oh, that's great. Now did you also change your diet? at the same time as implementing intermittent fasting or are you still eating the way that you always had?
1: I've gone a lot lower carb. I'm not eating 100% clean. But what I've discovered since you know coming to your group and reading your book and stuff like that, and I have to give a shout out to uh, Risa Rowe. You might see her on, on the group every so often. Yes. She's actually the one that brought me into your group. So she's uh, she's been great with helping me and we're actually probably doing an IF course at our diabetes clinic.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. So So
0: is, is she she's someone that goes to the diabetes clinic? Is she also a friend in real life that you knew outside of that or you met her through the diabetes clinic?
1: No, we knew each other for probably about 12, 15 years prior to this. And so I go to the diabetes clinic and her husband is also type two. So she's got an interest in him doing this and we sent him to Dr. Fung. So it's a sort of a happy little IF family that we've got going here.
0: I love that. So tell me about the course that you're going to be doing at the diabetes clinic. That's exciting.
1: The idea is to educate the dietitians and the other support staff, first of all, and get their buy-in because they're they're pretty almost anti-IF because it doesn't drive with what they teach in the three meals and you know, uh, lots threesome. of carbs. Yeah, and uh, so we need to get them on board first. And if they like it, we will possibly roll it out to patients and see if we can get them to get on the IF bandwagon. I just took a mindful eating course through the diabetes clinic, and it was taught by a psychiatrist, and he continually harped on the "you've got to get your snacks in, you've got to get your three meals in." It was just driving me nuts sitting in that class.
0: Oh yeah, I can imagine. I'm um, working on my health coach certification Mm -hmm. through Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and I've learned a lot there. But just this week, we have a group. We're supposed to chat in there, and the prompt was: "Breakfast is the most important meal of the day." Everyone, to explain what you think, how you should start your day. And I was like, "I'm just going to ignore this. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't." So. <laughs> when they're ready, I'll come and teach a guest lecture on intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I look forward to that day. If anyone from Institute from Integrative Nutrition is listening,
1: <laughs> and they'd be, Institute
0: for Integrative Nutrition—I think I said it wrong—but yeah, I would love to teach them about intermittent fasting, and
1: they'd be lucky to have you.
0: Well, thank you. So, um, your endocrinologist, I guess, has seen big changes in your type two diabetes. How's that gone?
1: The first time I met him was in one of my emerge visits, and I think my blood sugar at the time, was like 23. So wow. to convert that to American, apply by 18. So roughly 400.
0: Yeah, that's a little high.
1: Just <laughs> a little high. So basically my blood was molasses.
0: Uh, see, and I was thinking it the opposite way. When you said 23, that sounds really low uh-huh. like, for our numbers till you've converted it to over 400. Now it's like really high. Yeah,
1: But my last A1C was 5.6. So again, multiply it by 18, and it's a pretty good number.
0: That's great. And so... Has that changed You know the amount of medication you take? Are you still taking insulin at all?
1: I still take the nighttime insulin. I'm pretty much off the meal insulin unless I know I'm going to do something super carb crazy. Then I'll take a, a small, small dose. But essentially, I'm off that. And I believe probably by midsummer, if things continue on their current path, I'll probably half my dose of metformin.
0: Yeah, so your, your endocrinologist can't really argue with your results, can he?
1: No. And, you know, it's because my results were so good that he thinks it would be credible for me to teach or present to his staff at the clinic. You know, if I was just somebody talking about IF and had never done it and hadn't been successful at it, I don't think he would have been on board with, you know, teaching this to his staff.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, I wonder how often he has patients who reverse
1: their numbers like you have. That's an interesting question. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember to ask him next time I see him. You know, and he only does adults. He doesn't do children because he finds it too heart-wrenching.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. You know, I mean, I know we have always had type 1 diabetes, but, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't even see type 2 diabetes in children. Mm-hmm. You know, they called it adult-onset diabetes. Now we're seeing it younger and younger.
1: Yeah. So I understand where he's coming from. You don't like to see anyone suffer. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit like Barb. I just listened to Barb's podcast today. I'm not sure how I skipped that in the rotation. But, you know, it just kills me when, when I see people who could be helped and just refuse to listen and see the evidence right in front of them.
0: Well, it's true. You know, we, we've we always heard that type 2 diabetes is progressive and it gets worse, and you're just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until you have all these horrible complications. Mm-hmm. But as long as you make sure to eat a lot of carbs six times a day, check your blood sugar, you you know, you'll be fine.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was leading me down an awful road, an awful, awful road. Yeah, I can't say enough about how IF has, has changed my life.
0: That's just great. So talk about some of the health benefits specifically. I know you mentioned, you know, you've lost the weight, you're Diabetes numbers are better. Anything else health related that's been improved?
1: Oddly, my vision is better.
0: We hear that. Mm-hmm. If I were trying to make a list of claims and I said your vision might improve, that just sounds fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But we hear that. So how's how's that how's that improved?
1: Well, the new glasses that I bought in February, there were, you know, progressives or bifocals, whatever you want to call them, I can't use anymore because I can't use them to read because my eyesight's improved. They're now the wrong prescription in less than a year.
0: Well, that's good news, bad news, right? Yeah. Now you got to get new ones.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Or just not wear them.
0: Right. Well, that's even better if you don't need them. Mm-hmm. So what what else has improved?
1: Uh, obviously, my fitness has improved to, you know, shocking levels. I found because I exercise fasted now, I have absolutely no crashes. So it used to be if I went for a 20-kilometer bike ride, the next day I was... You know, pretty much toast. I would have no energy. My body would be so tired. Now I can do forty kilometers in a day. and the next day, I'm like, well, let's do another forty kilometers.
0: So the recovery from the exercise,
1: yeah, is easier. The recovery is easier, and I don't get as depleted from the actual exercise itself,
0: yeah, I know what you mean. I have not yet found anything that I, I couldn't do in the fasted state, you know, I went hiking over the summer Mm -hmm. with my sister and a friend in the mountains and I hadn't been hiking, I don't know when, Mm -hmm. maybe since college. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not much of a mountain hiker, but I was able to jump around the rocks and go up and down. And, and I never felt, like you said, I never felt depleted. Mm -hmm. No crashes.
1: Now, I think the listeners want to know, did you do this with your hula hoop or without?
0: (laughs) I did not have my hula hoop on the mountain. Mm -hmm. No, but I am like, not outdoorsy Mm -hmm. okay so we're in the mountains and i'm wearing like sandals Mm -hmm. and i was carrying my purse
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) like strapped over my shoulder so and i had on like my earrings and my neck i'm sure people saw me on the trail and they're like what is this girl because i didn't take any mountain hiking clothes i just looked like (laughs) i was i don't know
1: (laughs) it's sort of like uh that old tv show green acres
0: yeah yes (laughs) That is the. I was the one who um, did not want to go live in the country. That was me. I was. Was it Zha or Ava? I can never remember which one was was that one.
1: I'm not sure there is a difference between them.
0: Okay, I think this was Ava Gabor. Okay, that was me. I was Ava Gabor on the mountain. We took pictures at this beautiful waterfall, and friends were like, "What are you wearing?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Sorry, it's what I had." <laughs> I didn't even take tennis shoes with me. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Promo code IF Stories 10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IF Stories. Promo code IF Stories 10. So good. Go to greenshef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenshef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. So your fitness is good. What, what other health benefits besides the vision and the fitness? I
1: think cognitively, I'm so much sharper. I mean, in, in addition to the usual fog that people had, I've had a, a couple of uh, brain injuries as a result of all my medical stuff. And I've had probably about 35 concussions that uh, you know really took a toll. And since I've been fasting and getting a lot of keto juice into my brain, I've become much, much sharper than I already was. And it's kind of astounding, actually.
0: So just for people who might not understand what that reference he made to keto juice, it's not a special supplement that he <laughs> buys called keto juice. It is ketones that his body is manufacturing from his body fat during the fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those ketones are fueling his brain. Because mm-hmm. I could just imagine people Googling, I need to buy some keto juice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you can make your own.
0: For free. Yep. And, there's- <laughs> and if someone tries to sell it to you, don't buy it. Yeah,
1: And there's actually... Um, A really good TED Talk on why ketones and fasting is great for your brain.
0: Is this Mark Mattson?
1: I'd have to look it up. I'm not so good at recalling these things like you and Melanie are and remembering every study.
0: I I just know Mark Mattson does a lot of brain research, so it wouldn't surprise me. He's great. So anybody listening, if you want to find some great talks about the brain and fasting, Mark Mattson is is probably who it was. Mm -hmm. So do you remember anything specific that he said, just that the brain likes the ketones?
1: It likes the ketones and it helps it regenerate itself. It helps build stronger uh, synapses and regenerate your neurons more quickly and all of the the great things that we need to help fight off, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's and plaques and all those things.
0: Yeah, I would bet that's probably Mark Mm Mattson. So yeah, the cognitive function is important. You know, I make it a point not to eat. If I have to do any kind of thinking or, you know, an interview like this, mm-hmm. you know, I always wait to open my, in, my window afterwards just because I'm more mentally sharp on the ketones. You're right. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I find also when I exercise, because I do a lot of these longer bike rides, it helps keep me more alert of, you know, all the traffic around me and, you know, potential dangers because uh, people just don't pay attention to cyclists.
0: Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, cyclists make me nervous when I'm driving. For <laughs> so sure. Also, both, it goes both ways. My son had a bike and he was riding it all around downtown Savannah. Mm-hmm. And I was always worried about him for that reason.
1: Yeah, lots of lights and uh, I wear lots. I, I'm lit up like a Christmas tree whenever I go out, even in the daytime. That's good.
0: So you mentioned that you had 35 concussions. Yes. Would you pass out and fall down? Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, it turns out that my heart was stopping. And uh, it took them, you know, many, many misdiagnoses and weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out that I needed a pacemaker. So basically, you know, your heart stops, your blood pressure goes to zero, you have no blood in your brain, and uh, gravity takes over, and you fall on whatever you're standing near. So that happened to me dozens and dozens of times, and, uh, you know, there's repercussions from it.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine. So I, I know you were glad when they figured that out.
1: Very. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was pretty important. Mm-hmm. So um, do you still have those episodes now or is that second pacemaker taking care of that?
1: I still have the occasional one when there's a, a bit of too much of a lag between the uh, the support pacemaker kicking in because they're not perfect. So they have to read signals and things of that nature. So if it doesn't read the signal correctly and doesn't realize that the other pacemaker has stopped for five or eight seconds, I'll have some, some mini syncopies. So,
0: and you can like feel that happening in your chest. Does it like freak you out a little bit?
1: Yeah. You more feel it in your brain because, okay. You know, the, the blood starts to drain out of your brain and you're like, Oh no, been there. Don't want this again. So You know, try and sit down. So you
0: have like that lightheaded feeling.
1: Very lightheaded. And it's like, sit down quickly.
0: (laughs) But despite all that, I love that your cardiologist said intermittent fasting.
1: Mm -hmm. He's he's pretty enlightened. He's a health nut himself and uh, very well respected in the field. And he's like, try anything. You know, you're trying to solve a problem here. And if other things haven't worked, let's try something new.
0: I love that Mm -hmm. because we hear from people who are afraid to talk to their doctors about intermittent fasting for fear of what their doctors might say. Mm -hmm. And so to hear from people more and more so these days that their doctor is actually the person who suggested intermittent fasting, it just makes us feel better. Like we're not doing something that's dangerous or fringe or you know, out of the norm. No,
1: it's definitely not fringe. I mean, I'm, you know, I have quite a medical team and I'm, I'm fortunate for the team that I have, that they're very open-minded and, you know, they, they all felt terrible that they missed everything that was happening to me at the beginning when I first got sick and, you know, caused me to have all these um, heart failures and concussions and stuff like that. So, you know, they're on the lookout for anything that I'll get me back to the way I was.
0: And and they're open to intermittent fasting. Are any of them intermittent fasters themselves?
1: No, because they're all skinny.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about my husband before, mm-hmm. and he's he's skinny. And he's always been lanky, but now he's really, really skinny mm-hmm. compared to how he was even. He never needed to lose weight, but he does intermittent fasting just for the health benefits. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, the non-scale victories can't be understated here. I don't know how many I could list, but, you know, everything from hair being softer to my skin being better to wounds healing more quickly, you know, to better dental and everything like that, it's, it's just off the charts.
0: Yeah, we hear that, that dental benefit a lot. And, you know, we just had a pediatric dentist on mm-hmm. who talked about, you know, she does intermittent fasting and she explained why. Or, and also why it's it's good for our teeth. But we do hear that a lot. People will go to their routine cleanings and the, the staff are like, hey, your teeth are just fabulous.
1: Yeah, there's no plaque. Right. You know. Now, if we could only figure out how to get rid of the dragon breath.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Mine is probably more related to the fact that I'm drinking this coffee mm-hmm. and you can't, can't chew the gum. Because I think before I had the same breath, but I would just chew gum all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: So I have to say that I'm also fortunate on on this journey I'm on, in that I gave up Diet Coke and soft drinks about two years before I started this. So without even having read your book, I was already a clean faster. That's good. You know, I don't do coffee, although Risa Rowe has made me drink a couple against my will. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't have that battle. So I'm pretty much, you know, just on a a soda water or plain water during the fast.
0: Yeah, that makes it easy when you don't have to change a habit that you already had, because that really is so tough. Mm -hmm. And understanding the importance of the clean fast is so important. I have a friend, I don't know if she listens to the podcast. I'm going to think she probably doesn't because of the the interaction we had this week. But she taught with me Mm -hmm. when I was a teacher and she sent me a message this week and said, Oh my gosh, I'm having such a hard time with fasting. I'm so hungry all the time. I've been doing it, you know, for three weeks and I'm starving, starving, starving during the fast. I can't take it. And I'm like, okay, well, that should be settling down. What are you drinking mm-hmm. during the fast? I mean, you can imagine. Yeah. She's like, well, I start with diet sodas, and then I have some <laughs> stevia, and then I'm having some fat-free creamer. And and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, good news, bad news.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, the good news is now we know why you're so hungry and and having a hard time making it till even like 11 o'clock. Sure. And you know, the bad news is you got to get those things out of <laughs> Out of your quote, fast exactly. So the next day, she sent me a message and she's like, "Oh, it was so much easier <laughs> today."
1: <laughs> and I, I think also if you do a little bit of a carb load the the day before, it makes your your current day a little harder.
0: I think that that just depends mm-hmm. on the person. For me, I found I actually do better if I have more carbs mm-hmm. and if I don't. I think we're we're also very different with that. But there are definitely people that, that are it's true what you said. And I guess it also could depend on what carbs. Yes. Like a lot of sugary carbs might make it more difficult mm-hmm. than some whole food carbs.
1: Which is why I'm glad we only have Tim Hortons here and we don't have Dunkin' Donuts and all the other chains that you have there.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> we really we have like a coffee place on every corner. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think well, it is the coffee. I mean, I have a friend who's a foodie and uh I mean you know, every day it's like, oh, they've got this new coffee with, you know, caramel and whipped cream and this and that. And, and I don't think people realize how devastating that stuff is.
0: No, you know, a lot went on in my life when I was struggling with, with being overweight, but my weight really started to pile on. When I started drinking lattes during the day, I had a a machine that would make them. And they, you know, they only had, you know, 70-80 calories and I was putting stevia in there and I was like this can't can't be a problem it's only you know 70-80 calories mm-hmm. and my weight just started to pile on. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of the obesity epidemic really is related to what we're drinking.
1: Oh, I'm I'm sure it's a huge amount. I mean, things like Gatorade and, you know, those energy drinks are, you know, I don't even know if they can give you energy because they can't get into your system quickly enough. Right. So they just add calories you know, pretty much at the end of your exercise.
0: Yeah, and even the um, the ones that have zero calories, but they have the sweet taste. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's just uh, a call for your insulin to to get active.
0: Right, and it stimulates our bodies to think that we're eating, but the food never comes, and that sets off a chain reaction metabolically mm-hmm. as well. I've read some things about, um, you know, the artificial sweeteners and how that they're correlated with weight gain And, you know, of course, you know, the scientists are always hypothesizing different reasons why it could be your gut microbiome, it could be, you know, the insulin, it could be whatever. But I think we just can't overstate the fact that it's priming our bodies for food that doesn't come.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody can argue at this point that the sweeteners are really bad for your gut microbiome. Maybe you've seen a few of the articles I've posted from Dr. Merkin.
0: I have seen some articles, yes. Yeah,
1: and I love him because he cites research for everything. But, you know, it's pretty obvious that the sweeteners and sugars just, you know, defeat all your good bacteria and make it easy for the bad bacteria to win the war. And it sets off all the inflammation in your body. I've got a pretty beat-up body. I mean, I played rugby, I played hockey, and, you know, not at the highest levels, but, you know, enough to get hurt a lot. And since I've been fasting, I do not have one acre pain in my body, except for these surgery things that I have to happen. But no joint pain, no headaches, no migraines, nothing.
0: And you used to suffer from that? Yeah.
1: I also used to have something they call sock and glove disorder. And uh, it's sort of a, they think it's a viral thing where just your, your hands and your wrists and your ankles will flare up for no reason. And you could barely move your hands or your feet. And since I've been fasting, I have not had one episode of that.
0: Wow. Now that's a big victory right there.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Do you credit that to reduced inflammation?
1: hundred percent. I think all these pains that are gone that I used to have regularly, you know, when I first had my surgeries in 2009, there were days I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Like my body was just so sore and so uncooperative. And I have nothing like that anymore.
0: Now you're cycling 40 kilometers.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Thanks. Yeah. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. so feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies yeah you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of my mochi ice cream find my mochi ice cream at target or visit mymochi.com to locate a grocery store near you when you when you talk to the the dietitians
1: mm-hmm.
0: how are you going to talk to them you know when they say yeah but we're supposed to eat you know three meals a day yeah but snacks
1: I think we're going to start off with talking about basal insulin levels, which is what they never talk about. They they talk about what happens after you have a, a reaction to food and how to get it back right. down, but there's never any talk about, you know, what is your normal insulin level and that it's higher and how do we get that down? So, I've explained it to some people as, you know, it's like you have a swimming pool And your insulin just keeps filling it up and filling it up and filling it up. And then it starts spilling over to everything. And uh, you need to drain the pool.
0: Right. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a way of measuring our insulin at home?
1: Yeah, I think that would be life-changing for many people.
0: I think it would too. So many people are confused with insulin versus blood glucose. Um, We see this with people in in the Facebook groups who are trying to understand, you know, why we don't want you to have a a diet soda or, or artificial sweetener during the fast. And they're like, no, I checked my blood and my insulin was fine. And we're like, no, you checked your blood glucose, right? You know, people don't understand that those two things are not the same. You know, because you take insulin, you release insulin. You know, you measure your blood
1: glucose. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same with ketones. You know, right? People use the uh, the urine strips, and they don't quite understand that that's not the the most accurate reading of whether you're in ketosis or not.
0: That's true. And that the urine strips only measure ketones that your body is excreting, mm-hmm. not the ones that your body is using. And as we get better and better at using them, our body doesn't waste as many. Right. And so that's, that's going to be true for even in your breath. You, you're not going to see as many coming out in your breath if you're measuring it that way. And I've even done some reading people in the keto community who are eating you know, keto style mm-hmm. They find that over time, the levels of ketones in their blood drop as their body becomes more efficient at using ketones and the whole process their body adapts to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you shouldn't be chasing some high number, I guess is the point I'm making. Because over time, the numbers are going to go down, but that doesn't mean you're not making them.
1: Right. And I think, you know, everybody produces things at different rates. Right. So, you know, I've got a lot more fat than most people. So but we all have a maximum, you know, we can only burn so much. And, you know, when you're trying to get to a level that really isn't obtainable, because it's sort of a pie in the sky ideal, it's self-defeating, and and it brings people down.
0: Right. So I guess the the moral of the story is don't try to chase, you know, high ketone levels and and think that, you know, if you're not getting results on, on the urine strep that you're not you know, having benefits from fasting because it just might be that you're not detecting them. Correct.
1: Um, When I used to teach finance, we would do a lot of calculations on financial health of companies and things of that nature. And I would always tell the students, don't rely on one number to give you your benchmark of whether something's working or, or it's not working. You have to look for trends and you have to look for trends between a whole bunch of different numbers and ratios. So, you know, it's not just saying that, you know, I'm producing this many ketones right now. It's, you right. Know, are you getting better at it? Are you, is your blood glucose going down? Is your HA1C going down? I mean, those are the things you have to look for in concert to, to see your progress.
0: And I think we can apply that information to so many factors with intermittent fasting. You know, we're recording this about a month before it airs. And so we are about three weeks into January at the time of the recording. And so all the people who started intermittent fasting at the beginning of the year, Mm -hmm. you know, diet season began, Mm -hmm. and they're about three weeks in, which is still during the adjustment phase. And so we're starting to hear, help, I haven't lost any weight. Help, my weight just went up two Mm -hmm. pounds. And so they're just looking at that one indicator, scale weight, and not realizing the trend.
1: Mm -hmm. And scale weight's just a proxy for the effect gravity has on our body. And I think we were in a thread about this the other week. You know, our gravitational field on the earth changes all the time so your weight can change by the effect of gravity by a few pounds easily every day and you've done absolutely nothing wrong right <laughs> so
0: and people people don't understand that and it really it's it's always a bit shocking like someone will post i got on the scale this morning and then i fasted all day and then i got on the scale again and i weigh 2 more pounds help how did i gain 2 pounds today mm-hmm. during the day while I was fasting.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know. You ate something large?
0: But they didn't eat. (laughs) They didn't eat at all. They were fasting all day and they got on the scale and they weighed two more pounds than they weighed this morning while fasting. Mm -hmm. And they get really confused. Of course, I'm sure they drank liquids during the Mm -hmm. day, (laughs) which have weight.
1: Maybe it was really smog-heavy air they were breathing.
0: Yeah, two pounds of smog, that might be tricky. (laughs) But weight weight goes up, you know, during the day because you're having, you know, water. Water weighs a mm-hmm. lot. You know, if you ever tried to haul around some bottles of water, mm-hmm. and of course you can't gain two pounds of fat during the day.
1: No, you can't
0: <laughs> in one day, especially if you were fasting. Mm-hmm. So understanding weight fluctuations and you know how the process of losing fat is not going to be linear on the scale. Mm-hmm is so important. And you can apply that to what you said about finance and the idea of trends.
1: Mm-hmm. Sounds like a topic for a, a blog post.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we recommend, of course, that people weigh daily mm-hmm. and then take a weekly average and only compare the weekly averages mm-hmm. to get a look at the overall trend. And,
1: and hopefully people are using the same scale.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: Regardless of whether they're electronic or you know the old balance scales, whatever. Uh, they all have their own variance in them.
0: That's an excellent point. You know, we do see that from people as well that will weigh at home, then they'll weigh at their sisters and they're really upset because they weighed more at their sisters. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is psychological, isn't Very it? Very
1: much. I mean, if you think that, if you understand that a scale might have a variance of, say, 10%, and if you're 200 pounds, that means it could be off by 20 pounds, plus or minus.
0: Right you know, we'll see people who get new scales and they they realize that their old scale was weighing them very differently. Mm -hmm. And they'll be very upset Mm -hmm. that they now, quote, weigh more.
1: Yeah, especially if you're in an older house. And um, you can tell I have an engineer for a neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) But your house shifts. And and, uh, that can affect how your scale weighs you. That's
0: true. And, you know, if the floor is slanty. Mm -hmm. You know, depending on how you stand on it. We've all done that. We've all like, oh, I remember. Get on the scale. Mm -hmm. Don't like what it said. Get off. Scooch it over with my Mm -hmm. foot. Get on again. Don't like it. Get off. Scooch it over a little bit Mm -hmm. more. What in the world? (laughs) But I've done it. We've all done it. (laughs) Not anymore because I threw my scale in the trash. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) back in the day, I can remember wanting to see that number so badly that I can play that scooting the scale around game.
1: Well, I'm only weighing when I go see the endocrinologist now, so that's every three to six months. So I told my mom I was doing the podcast, and she says, well, how is the fasting going for you? And I said, well, I honestly don't know, because I I haven't been on the scale, you know.
0: Well, you know, you're not going to stop fasting.
1: Absolutely not.
0: So it's like kind of just information now, right?
1: She says, well, your clothes must be bigger. And I said, well, you know, once your clothes get to a certain amount of bigness, it's really really hard to tell if they're getting any bigger. So That's true. I can't tell on myself by looking. I'm even though I'm taking pictures and things like that, I have to rely on people like Risa to tell me that I've shrunk even more.
0: So she sees it. Yeah.
1: And and she's shrunk quite a bit too. I think she's lost close to forty pounds.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Has it really made a difference having someone in your real life that isn't intermittent faster?
1: I think so. You know, always having a team is always better and You know, I wouldn't have come to your group if it hadn't been for her because she's just a searcher. You know, she's always finding these things. And, you know, we've talked to people that are now intermittent fasting, her on her own and me on my own. My sister is like Barb. She's also a legal nurse. And now she's fasting and she's finding it's making a a huge difference in her ability to to work with the lawyers and with her stamina.
0: I love that. So did you and Risa start fasting, fasting at the same time? I know you said she brought you into the group, but hmm. did you bring her to fasting or did she discover it? No,
1: I think we found it independently.
0: Okay, I was curious.
1: Mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that uh, that she was doing it because everybody has their own experience. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, you won't have my experience and I won't have your experience. So it, it always makes me chuckle when somebody posts that they've had, you know, significant success on, on the group and then everybody else starts asking, you know, well, what are you eating? What's your window? and right. Stuff like that.
0: It's true. Just, you know, just today someone had posted their progress and then someone said, what's your meal? Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, find your own meal. (laughs) You know, my meal is really not going to work for a lot of people. I bake homemade bread. Mm -hmm. I am making potato soup for dinner.
1: Oh, that sounds yummy. You know,
0: potato soup and homemade bread is not going to be the meal that works for everybody. Oh, it is going to be yummy.
1: My meals this week have been falafel. I've been in transit going from place to place when I would normally break my fast. And I've ended up at this restaurant. So I think the last five days in a row, I've had falafel
0: the same restaurant. It's just something that's working really well for you. Yeah, it's on my
1: route, and there you go. You know, I could have a million other things at the restaurant, but that's just, but
0: you just like falafel. This week
1: I do. Next week, who knows?
0: Yeah. So have your tastes in food changed at all with intermittent fasting? Hugely, hugely. Tell us about that.
1: Well, let's start with junk food or what we consider junk food. Things that I used to really enjoy uh, licorice. I don't know if you have, if it's called the same in, in state Twizzlers or Nibs.
0: Yep. We've got t- Twizzlers. Yeah, I used to
1: love those.
0: The red ones. The
1: cherry yep. ones. And, uh, now they taste like wax to me.
0: Oh yeah. They're so yeah. yucky. Yeah. Sorry, Nibs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, um, I, I.
0: They will not be sponsoring my uh, podcast apparently.
1: <laughs> oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot eat a breakfast cereal anymore. You know, you know, you grew up on things like Captain Crunch and stuff like that, which I don't know why we eat because they rip your mouth apart. Can't do any of those breakfast cereals anymore.
0: You just don't like the way they taste.
1: They're too overpowering. Right. After I do a Bible study class Monday through Thursday, and uh, after falafel, I picked up this apple crumble thing for the group and everybody loved it. And then I tasted it and I was like, there's sweetener in here.
0: Artificial yeah, sweetener and it, it yeah you could pick yeah, it up
1: and it just ruined everything for me.
0: But everybody else thought it yeah, was great.
1: They're they're sort of numbed to it.
0: You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. My taste buds pick those things up too. Mm-hmm. Anything that's artificial these days, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, chips that I used to like potato chips, most of them, I, I they're not palatable anymore. So it's it's sort of you know you're being funneled to more more natural foods, you know, to the chicken breasts and I love stir-fries. I've always loved stir-fries. I don't know why I don't eat them more, but I mean, it's almost the perfect the perfect food. You can make it different every day of the week.
0: That's true. You can adjust it to what you've got on hand and you really can't go mm-hmm. wrong.
1: And and it's so easy to portion. You know, I I live right. alone, so cooking is a challenge if you go by traditional recipes. But, you know, if you just need one chicken breast and whatever vegetables you want, how can you go wrong?
0: Yep. Tell us about the intermittent fasting style or pattern that you do now and how you structure your day. Again, like we just said, this isn't going to work for everybody. Everyone has a different pattern that works for them, which even could change over time. But it's always nice to hear what other people are doing.
1: Uh, Right now, I'm trying to do a minimum fast of 18 hours. And I do that Monday through Friday. I'm a little less strict on the weekends for a number of reasons. And my lifestyle is more evening oriented because of my Bible study and things that I have to do in the evening. So my window is generally around seven ish
0: okay, like seven yeah, o'clock seven, 7 PM. pm
1: and then you know maybe I'm usually done by ten o'clock or eleven o'clock plus or minus.
0: So you generally follow a, a loose one meal a day pattern within a within a eating window. Yeah.
1: and when I first learned the term omad, I thought, oh, there's no way I can do anything like this, and oh, yeah, yeah, and then it sort of you just it just evolves, and now I think this is just so simple, and, and so much easier to do. Like, how did we not know this, you know, decades ago?
0: Right, because it just feels so right, doesn't mm-hmm. it?
1: And you know, you don't feel as hungry. You know, I used to get the hangries and the ravenous, as I'm sure many people did, and it just doesn't exist anymore.
0: That really is the most striking part to people that have never done intermittent fasting because they don't understand Mm -hmm. that it really is easy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the people that are traditionalists, you tell them you're fasting and it's like, oh my God, you know, you're damaging yourself. And I'm like, look at me. You don't think I was damaged?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And when I say easy, I want to walk that back just a minute because when I say it's easy to fast, I'm talking about physically. Mm -hmm. It is physically easy to fast. Emotionally, that's where it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. Even for me, sometimes I'll be like, "Yeah, sure, it would be nice to you know have whatever," because food is recreation. Right. But when I say it's easy, I'm talking about physically easy. And then there's that whole emotional component that a lot of us have to deal with. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, sometimes we have months or quarters from hell. I sort of had that in mm-hmm. November and December. So you know, I had two heart surgeries, and I moved, and we moved my mom into a home, and you know, just lots going on. And I had two friends pass away in December. Like if that doesn't set off a binging and getting you off the, the intermittent fasting path, I don't know what will.
0: That's true. And you were able to to stick to it. Do you think that intermittent fasting helped
1: you through it? A hundred percent. I think as my brain gets healthier from, you know, the autophagy or you call it autophagy, right?
0: Yeah. That's the way, that's the way that's we the say it.
1: Canadian versus American. <laughs> So I said autophagy to to one of my doctors, and she says, "What is that?" And I said, "Autophagy." <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So you know, you get healthier. It builds in a resilience to you that you didn't know you had. It just gives you a clearer path towards everything. I I know it sounds almost uh, zealot like, but uh, that's been my experience.
0: Well, I, I think that a lot of us feel that same exact way. Now we are so so close to being out of time. So in. 60 to 90 seconds. What would you tell somebody just starting off with intermittent fasting? What advice would you give them?
1: I'd say miracles like the diets were promised. Miracles only happen in the Bible. You know, this is something that's good for you. It'll take some effort and some persistence, but let it do its work. You know, the uh, the Grand Canyon wasn't carved out in 30 days. You know, it takes nature some time to find its path. And depending on how damaged your body is, things will go faster or slower for you. My body was very damaged and I saw no results for my first three, four months. Then all of a sudden, boom. So let it do its work.
0: I think that is just fabulous advice because, you know, you've probably heard me say intermittent fasting is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. And, you know, so many people... I'm not going to promise you to lose 12 pounds in your first month and drop three pants sizes. I am not going to tell somebody that's what's going to happen because it's you might actually gain five pounds and your pants are mm-hmm. tight in the first you know 30 days. Nobody ever says that for a diet plan, right? right? <laughs> but you don't know what's going on on the inside and what needs to happen mm-hmm.
1: with your body. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew because i had had so much damage that things weren't going to go very quickly for me. I just didn't know how long it was going to take to to correct itself. But I'm certainly glad that I waited to find out.
0: I think that's wonderful. And Fred, we are out of time. And I have really enjoyed talking to you today. And I think that our listeners will enjoy it as well.
1: Thank you, Jen. It's great to be a Jen-siple.
0: Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you later.
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup.